I'm Rick Wilson. Welcome back to The Enemies List. Our guest today is Andy Kroll. Andy is an investigative reporter with ProPublica. He's been published in Rolling Stone and a host of other places. He's got a book out called A Death on W Street. And A Death on W Street is a kind of disturbing book about the way the MAGA media works today um, and, the, and the way that, that even a tragedy uh, that occurs uh, to a young man who is murdered in D.C. can be transformed and transported into this almost global propaganda effort um, to invalidate the 2016 election. And Andy goes through in this book, I think a pretty dark journey on just how exploitative and and heinous a lot of the people in that world uh, are and how willing they are to go to some very dark places in order to achieve a propaganda. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list. Democrats want Republicans dead. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. If you're the president of the United States, you can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson. And this is The Enemies List. Andy Kroll, welcome to The Enemies List. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to have you here. You know, Andy, I want to jump right in on this because uh, in a lot of ways, Seth Rich is one of those foundational sort of cornerstone conspiracy theories that has never disappeared on the right. It, it never quite went away after this tragedy, and and in some ways it sort of got uh, it sort of became like like background noise of the folklore of everybody who wasn't a right wing conspiracy person. They thought uh, whatever the Southridge thing was, I don't get it, I don't remember it. Walk us through just at thirty thousand feet. First off, the Seth Rich story. What happened to Seth Rich, and then let's dive into how this became a weaponized conspiracy theory. Seth Rich was a 20-something who worked in Democratic politics here in Washington, D.C. He was like one of 10,000 young people who flocked to Washington, D.C. to work in politics, whether it's on the left, the right, the Dems, the Republicans, you name it. This city is lousy with people just like him who came here because they you know, watched too much West Wing as a kid and wanted to make that a reality, wanted to play some part in the bigger story Mm -hmm. of their country. Seth was working for the Democratic National Committee in the summer of 2016. He was working on their voter registration, uh, voter protection team, as they called it, the DNC, and was walking home from a bar too late at night in a not especially great part of Washington, D.C., when he was shot and killed in what the D.C. police have said more than six years ago and to this day was an attempted armed robbery, something that happens in big cities all the time. And he was shot twice. He was killed. And it was this, you know, tragedy that that shook people who knew him, who worked with him, even folks who didn't but followed the story in the local news, this young man 
who had a lot of promise, who had a lot of talent, who seemed like he was going places mm-hmm. and his life was tragically cut short. But in that crazy conspiratorial uh, news story, every minute temperature boiling over environment that was the 2016 campaign, it is just a matter of days, even hours, that Seth Rich's tragic murder is grabbed onto and transformed into some kind of political talking point or conspiracy theory to explain uh, why things were happening the way they were in the 2016 campaign. Well, remember, this was at the time that WikiLeaks was taking emails stolen from the Democratic National Committee and pumping them into Mm -hmm. the news cycle, pumping them into the internet, and that all kinds of shenanigans and rat fuckery were happening during the campaign. And Seth Rich, through no fault of his own, was dragged into this after he was killed and tried to, people tried to turn him into a player in this incredibly unbelievable political moment that was right. I mean, and, and it almost immediately the Russian SVR comes out and starts floating that he was murdered. Julian Assange, uh, weird how he would pick up the SVRs, Exact talking point. Um, Julian Assange comes out and says, oh, what did he say? It was like, oh, our sources take many risks or something like that, implying that exactly. Seth Rich was the WikiLeaks source, which it wasn't. It was the it was the Russians that was that were feeding them the, the hacked materials that they got out of Podesta's hat, the email, the Podesta email hack. Right. I mean, you see this chain of event, chain of events happen almost instantaneously taking this tragic murder, this tragic death and trying to weaponize mm-hmm. it for partisan purposes in, in the case of Julian Assange, trying to distract from the actual source of the stolen emails that WikiLeaks was putting out into the world and saying, look how corrupt the Democrats are. Look at this inside, you know, skullduggery happening in the party. Look how they screwed over Bernie Sanders, supposedly. And, at the same time this is happening, Assange is going on television and saying, yeah, what about that DNC guy who was killed? That's kind of sketchy, isn't it? You know, our sources take risks. Very much seeding this narrative that somehow Seth Rich had been the source for these emails, not Russian intelligence, even though there was no evidence for Seth Rich and all the evidence pointed to Russian intelligence. Um, I mean, what what's interesting about the story and what was, what was strange for me coming to it was I, I came to this, this story I tell in the book, not because I was um, tracking the hack story as closely as everyone mm-hmm. else, but it was because I had a personal connection to Seth okay. Rich. Uh, I had, you know, friends in common with him. We sort of ran similar circles here in DC, close in age, both dudes from the Midwest he went into politics, I went into journalism, but you know, those are too far no, off yeah, adjacent. in some ways. Yeah, exactly. And I had this out-of-body moment when Julian Assange first mentioned Seth's name. I was on Twitter at the time. Can't believe I'm admitting that here, but here we are. Um, and I see Seth Rich's name trending. And then I think to myself, uh, that can't be right. There must be some, you know, there's another Seth system. Rich. There must be <laughs> 
Right, right, exactly. I mean, it's not that common of a name, but common enough, it's got to be somebody else, some football player or something. But no, it is the Seth Rich, and it was because Assange had made these comments, and that really just floored me, knocked me back in my chair. And, you know, I've really been chasing that story almost since that very moment in early August of 2016. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I, my first exposure to the story I hadn't heard. I didn't know. The, I hadn't heard about it at all. Was a friend of mine said to me, "Bannon is telling people this DNC kid was assassinated by 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 hired contract killers mm. that Hillary put into play," and mm. and I and I had a moment at the time. I was like, I just like as the story was breaking, I'm like this is going to turn into a giant alt right uh, media infrastructure talking point. And I guess one of the things that fascinates me about this book is that you really do start to see in a, in a weird way the, the 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 interconnections between this gigantic group of con- hyper conservative nationalist populist alt right media and political activists this 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 integrated whole that they all seem to work in and they all get on the same message almost instantaneously about this guy no matter how absurd it was and no matter how many of them had to walk it back i mean what was your obser- observation of of just how that group works and how they how they behaved in the course of this? I thought that the Seth Rich story would be a kind of case study to understand the trajectory that a viral disinformation campaign or a partisan conspiracy theory would take, and thankfully it did turn out to be that way. You can see every step in the chain of how a story goes from a mm-hmm. couple of like frothy tweets from egg avatar accounts right. that, you know, could be real people, could be bots, could be the internet research agency, who knows. And that eventually ends up on Sean Hannity's primetime right. show with an audience of millions. I think I went, you know, I mean, one, one takeaway that, that sticks with me, I think I went into this reporting thinking that Fox played more of a role originating these kinds of things, Mm -hmm. that they began on Fox and they stayed on Fox and sort of bounced around from, you know, Fox and Friends to the, the nightly shows, whatever. But that, at least in this case, was not true. What's true is that a, a story will start on Twitter. It'll start on Reddit. Sure. A hashtag will form. And then there's some kind of leap to something that quasi-legitimizes it. In the case of Seth Rich and in a lot of other stories, it's this website, The Gateway Pundit, which I'm sure you know plenty oh, about. Oh, I'm afraid I um, do. Yeah, sadly I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and it's, 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 you see a bunch of just random tweets almost like metabolized into a quote-unquote story on a website like The Gateway Pundit. And then from there, the Drudge Report can link to it and say, oh, there's this story reporting out there. You yep. should pay attention. Yep. And then it gets to Fox. Right. You know, Fox is the sort of ultimate amplifier destination for this kind of nonsense. But it's not where it begins mm-hmm. and no, not that's, where it that's right. ends, too. You know, it kind of cycles back through. Yeah, I, I, I wrote about that in my first book about the the sort of uh, like fever swamp ecosystem and at each step the story gets cleaned up a little bit just enough 
to take it up to the next the next yep. step on the pyramid, just enough so that it'll get through standards and practices or, or legal uh, at Fox at the end of the day. And they'll they do a lot of that with you know r- reports on the internet basically show people are saying they're not reporting it as clean news. They have a certain formula they use a lot of the time of you know a, an activist has asserted so and so claims. Instead of saying, you know, we're reporting that, it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's a very Rupert Murdoch, uh, New York Post tabloid style origin story of, of they want to run this, they desperately want to run it, but they do have to sort of, you know, launder the propaganda a little bit before they, before they dump it out there on right. the platform. Um, so who do you think was the, was the sort of, uh, I mean, the most egregious of the, of the folks to sort of weaponize this? Because the thing that struck me was the was the cruelty of it. I mean, this is a young guy, and all of a sudden, his family is going through through having Roger Stone and Steve Bannon and Alex Jones mm-hmm. and Sean Hannity and all these other people claiming their son was murdered. It, it and he, he was murdered by thieves, by 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 robbers. But what was the what was the who do you think was like the 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 worst of the villains on that in terms of who was. Who, who took the who took point on the propaganda in this thing uh, to your to your research? I would point to two people if I can. The first one is someone we've just mentioned, and that's Julian Assange. Mm-hmm. The Julian Assange fanboys and fan girls out there hate me for saying this, but whatever, I don't care. And also, it's true. He invoked Seth Rich at a moment when the tinder was dry for someone to come along and drag any other kind of you know victim into the story of 2016 into the story of the election interference and assange chose seth rich if assange does not do that i don't know if this conspiracy theory becomes what it becomes maybe it does through some other route but i don't know if this book it's written if Assange mm-hmm. does not do what mm-hmm. he does at that particular moment in time. Mm-hmm. And then the second person is unquestionably Sean Hannity. Yeah, Sean Hannity did not originate this story. He did not seed it in some way like Julian Assange did, though he and Assange were obviously very close and in frequent contact, both on air and apparently off in uh, uh, the sort of 2016, 2017 yeah. period. But Hannity grabs onto this story after Fox's quote unquote news side publishes a story that it would later retract in May of 2017. Hannity promotes this story to cumulatively eight to 10 million people, at least if you just go by the raw audience numbers for his primetime show back in 2017. Night after night, he is pushing the story that Seth Rich was this leaker whistleblower who gave all the emails to WikiLeaks. It wasn't Russia. Trump was off the hook. The cloud was lifted, et cetera, et cetera. Even when, as I report in the book, inside Fox News, they realized that their quote unquote reporting was flawed, that it was crumbling in their hands in real time as the FBI and the DC Mm -hmm. police and the rich family were saying none of this is accurate. Hannity is out there night after night promoting this story because he knows it is manna from heaven for then president Trump and all of his supporters. And even when his own network is saying, Oh, we think something's wrong here. 
Hannity continues to push it. So he has as much a role as anyone as amplifying this story, this conspiracy theory to the biggest audience possible, without a doubt. Um, Imagine that. Sean Hannity's a bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) So the other person I think that, that, you know, obviously validated the story at a certain level was Trump. Tell us about how Trump treated the story during the campaign and beyond. Well, in the campaign, he is, the 2016 campaign, he is obviously looking for any way to distract from or debunk, if he can, the story of Russian interference in the election to hurt Hillary Clinton and help him. And he is suggesting that, you know, the this election interference did not happen, that it is a conspiracy theory or that it is just, you know, the deep state trying to undermine him and destroy his campaign. At the same time, you have people very close to Trump, Roger Stone and Steve Bannon, mm-hmm. as you personally know, Rick. Both of them, sadly. Who are very specific. <laughs> yeah, you know, who are very specifically suggesting that the Clintons had this young DNC staffer, Seth Rich, killed mm-hmm. for the crime of, uh, you know, leaking these emails. Again, something for which there is zero evidence. And then throughout Trump's presidency, he is continually both attacking the intelligence community's findings about Russian interference. He is insinuating that the story of 2016 and election interference was somehow something other than what it actually was. And then you have Bannon and you have others in the president's orbit. At some point, even Tucker Carlson on television, on Fox, Mm -hmm. pushing this notion that, you know, it was a democratic insider or that it was something other than what we all know that it was and has been decisively concluded at this point, because this is the ultimate story for them. This is a holy grail for them. It quote unquote demolishes the whole Russian interference story and nothing would be better for Trump. And it it makes Hillary look like a murderer. I mean, right, right. The Clinton Clinton body count count. I mean, is a part of this. Exactly. You know, there is a, there is a long history of that, you know, and there, and this sort of Trumpian demimond down in, in Palm beach and Fort Lauderdale with Chris Ruddy and Roger Stone and and Bannon just lives across the coast in Sarasota, but all these people who've moved down from the from the, the fever swamp of Washington to the fever swamp of Palm Beach, <laughs> that stuff is still like very much, even though they know it's bullshit, even though they know it's just it's just noise. Um, it is still one of these like articles of faith among some of those people that that Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton have have secretly killed hundreds of people over the years to protect their secrets. And it just blows me the F away because it's such a coherent and yet absurd conspiracy. It's it's incredibly consistent in their brains, but it's also just patently crazy at every level. That always struck me as why this was one of the one of the the underpinnings of this was it it lets them all it lets them go way back to the beginning of the vast right wing conspiracy media machine, which really, <laughs> in a big way, think about Fox at the takeoff point ninety seven Rupert's really kicking things up. You know that is that is still where the Clintons were these powerful, almost demonic figures in the minds of of Republican voters, and he ran with that idea for for well a generation now, honestly. 
he's dead, but the but the ship still the ship still sails on that one. So tell me a little bit about how the family started to finally get some closure on this case because again, this is the thing that has always struck me is the is the willingness to put a, the family of a murdered young man through this kind of torture, through this kind of of absolute public agony for the sake of a, a campaign talking point. I wanted to understand the same thing. I wanted to, I mean, at a personal level, a very simple, basic personal level, how did politics, how did at least some players in politics sink to a level that they would feel no shame Mm -hmm. taking this family's grief and turning it into a partisan uh, sledgehammer, turning it into a talking point to advance their candidate, their campaign, their agenda at the expense of this family that can't get grief, can't, they can't grieve in real time because they're instead dealing with these conspiracy theories. And obviously the Clinton body count and the history of conspiracy theories and politics is a big part mm-hmm. of that. And I kind of get into that a little bit in the book, how we got to this point and why this particular moment now it, it is so um, stands out. But the family, Joel and Mary Rich, Seth's parents, and his brother Aaron, they reached a point not too long after Fox amplifies this conspiracy theory in the biggest way possible, where they felt they had no choice but to put their grief on pause and do whatever they could to try to clear Seth's names, try to correct the record, to try to get some kind of justice and accountability for all these people running around accusing Seth of something that there was no evidence that he'd done for Joel and Mary rich. That in the end means suing Fox news in the Southern district of New York, one of the most high profile Mm -hmm. uh, judicial venues in the country. And, you know, as a, as a journalist and as a storyteller, there is just something very simply, David and Goliath about that. I mean, Joel and Mary sure. Rich are not political animals. They are not media veterans. They are actually the right. furthest from all right. those things. They live in Omaha, mm-hmm. Nebraska. They 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 love <clears throat> Newfoundland dogs and Disney movies. They are not veterans of this world, and yet they get to a point where they say, "We will do. We will do anything. We will go as far as we have to go. We will take the most powerful media organization in America, arguably." to court if that is what it takes to defend Seth. And that is what they do. And, you know, I hope for people who read the book, there is a um, some element of, if not um, hope, at least some kind of vindication, someone to root for in, this, in the form of this family because they take on Fox and essentially get a victory. Right. And they settle out of court for a seven-figure sum. Fox does not talk about Seth Rich anymore after that and that their lawsuit as well was a sort of rubric playbook for the suits filed by dominion voting machines and others like it so i I think that they are the people you root for in this book because they are on the side of truth and accountability and just basic human decency everybody's got a morning ritual i know i do and i want to feel like i'm getting my day going i want to feel like i'm moving and more than coffee sometimes it's making sure you're clean, squared away, put together. You can get your day started by upping your shave game with Harry's sleekest razor yet. 
the craft handle. I like to use it because I've got to shave this giant dome of mine every day. So I got to keep it shiny. I have a beard, but I keep my neck clean front and back, do all the miscellaneous trimming. And the new craft handle, it actually is a lot more precision, at least that I found, with the new grip. I really like it a lot. You'll be getting quality shaving for a really amazing price. For now, they're offering the craft handle starter set for 10 bucks. It's a $17 value, so this is something you really should try. And if you don't like it, it's on them, guys. They stand behind the product. They guarantee it. How can you get a hold of the craft handle, the latest, greatest from Harry's? It's simple. Get it delivered to your door for 10 bucks at harrys.com slash enemies list. That's harrys.com slash enemies list. Yeah, I, I think the fact that they, and I'm sure they were warned by everyone, you can't sue Fox. They've got 5 billion lawyers. They're the, in, notoriously litigious. They will drag this out until the sun is a darkened cinder in the sky. Um, and somehow they were able to get this thing to the point where where even the mighty Fox machine decided we can't have this laundry aired. We cannot take, we cannot get to the point where this stuff goes public. We're going to settle. We're going to shut up. We're going to even tell the loudest of the loudmouths to shut up. Um, it, I think you're right. It is sort of a hopeful, there's, there's a kind of a hopeful note here that you ordinarily don't necessarily get in these, in these kind of cases because uh, believe me, defamation is the hardest damn thing in the world. And and this infliction of emotional harm is even tougher, and so yeah, no, I think it, I think the family really, I I hope they got some closure out of it beyond just the financial settlement, but of breaking Fox at some level, uh, who are notoriously unbreakable when it comes to these things. So uh, of this sort of journey that you've been on studying this and 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 going into this thing, what have you learned about the mainstream media culture and how they covered the story as well? Good question. I think that there was a lot of good reporting done, but a lot of it done in a a reactionary mm -hmm. and a sort of let's try to catch up with this with the story kind of way. In terms of you know, Fox News, for instance, has just put this information out into the world, claiming that Seth Rich was the source for WikiLeaks, and there's a lot of you know, mainstream media reporting outside of Fox, trying to catch up with that story, trying to see if it's true or not, and ultimately debunking that story. But there wasn't a lot of reporting trying to understand how a conspiracy theory like those about Seth Rich started in the feeded dark corners of the internet and catapulted its way, again, to primetime Fox News to uh, Steve Bannon, there wasn't a lot of reporting to understand how you go from A to Z here, mm -hmm. because that is so much the story of, if not American politics today, certainly the media ecosystem that we live in. You know, you see something in the news, sure. you don't understand right. where did you that wanna, come from. You, want you realize it's like a Reddit thread. Right. <laughs> way too many, way too many, the origin story of way too many conspiracies is is contrary right. to contrary to popular belief, not 4chan, but Reddit. <laughs> yeah, and right. I say this exactly. as a, as a guy yeah. who loves Reddit. Um, yeah, it, it's here. It's same the here. investigation of Rich's murder. Can you walk us through what happened with that? And can you tell us the story? This insane story of this ex cop Trump supporter who tried to sort of become this intervening force in the whole thing and try to sort of seem, seemingly trying to sort of blow up the investigation. 
Right. So the the homicide investigation starts with the D.C. police and proceeds for a few months in 2016. And about that time, the detective on the case realizes once Julian Assange transforms it into a cause celeb mm-hmm. on the right and the internet is going insane with Seth Rich speculation and fantastical theories that this detective is a little bit out of his element. <laughs> he needs some help here. And so he brings in the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C., a veteran homicide prosecutor who I write about in the book named Deborah Sines right. to help out with the case. And they are working this case like a regular homicide here in the nation's capital, but it is not a regular homicide because while there is the actual police work of trying to retrace, you know, the, 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 the wounds that Seth suffered, right. trying to find security footage, trying to turn witnesses who know things about this particular neighborhood. They are also finding this battle online where people are coming forward every single day, if not every single hour and spinning wild theories about how Seth Rich actually died. And so it was almost a, 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 a two track path that they were on one, try to solve this homicide and two, try to run down or at least, you know, rule out every crazy thing you see on the internet, which is, does not lead to a pretty successful or at least an efficient mm-hmm. homicide probe. Then in the middle of all of this, Deborah Sines, the federal prosecutor assigned to the case at the time, comes to realize that some of these online conspiracy theorists that she's been keeping an eye on in the course of doing her, her investigation have some, have some interesting information about the case, information that no one else in the public should know, for instance, the identity and the you know identifying information about basically the only witness okay. who had come forward with information. Uh, this person had seen people fleeing the same area where Seth was killed and had told police about it. Deborah Sines starts to run down where this information about this quasi witness had come from and ultimately finds out that there was a cop, a DC cop at the time, who had been giving not public information about the case mm-hmm. to one of the most vocal conspiracy theorists <laughs> in the Seth Rich matter. And it's this, it's this completely insane snake eating its tail moment that I think if you put in a television show, people would say, right. okay, hey, too much, too much. You pushed it a little <laughs> too far here. But this actually... Yeah, 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 yeah. This is we got to cut this from the from the script, but this actually happened. I mean, I talked to the cop who's no longer on the force, and you know, he told me that he did these things, and it's uh, it, it's you know, it's one of those just incredible twists in a story that, frankly, is full of. Twists. There was a guy who also tried to insert himself as an investigator in this. Tell us a little bit about him and and his this this very pro Trump role that he played. Oh, I mean, there were all number of investigators who tried to. Yeah, I'm sorry, his name is his name is eluding me at the moment. Um, but he was on Fox. Was, well, that, well let, let, let's talk about. Yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. So, so that was a fellow named Ed Batista. That's right. That's right. Who that's right. finance guy out of Texas? Right. Yeah, finance guy out of Texas, who plays this very curious role in all of this, which is by day he is on Fox News and Fox Business talking about the stock market mm-hmm. and inflation and 
GDP and his role as, as a kind of financial commentator. But behind the scenes, he is helping orchestrate this Fox News story that would ultimately say Seth was the source for WikiLeaks, right. and, you know, with this vague sourcing and with this, you know, sort of um, misleading conclusion that Fox presented as fact. And I mean, the thing I find most interesting about that particular episode is that if you watch Fox News, you will see its hosts, its pundits, its anchors, you name it, accuse the mainstream media mm-hmm. of sort of pre-writing its stories to fit political agendas sure. or ideological biases. You know, they're, they, they know what they want to say and they just find the information to back up what they want to say. But in the case of this Fox News pundit you just mentioned and the story he helped bring into reality on Fox, that is exactly what happened. As I show in the book, based on all the reporting and documents and everything I got, Fox essentially started off with a draft of a story that said, Seth Rich leaked these emails to WikiLeaks and everything you know, you've know you heard about Russia is wrong. And then basically verbatim in these emails said, we need to find the sourcing that backs this up. Right. We need to go out there and get someone to confirm this for us. So it's the thing that Fox has accused so many of us of doing over the years it is doing in black and white right. in the case of this Seth Rich story. I, I, can't, I can't quite get over that, even though it's, right. you know, I've, I've written a whole book about it. It's, it, it, is, it is a pretty remarkable thing. Didn't Hannity at one point claim we have a federal in, a, a federal source in confirming this for us? Did, was it Hannity who said that? That was both Hannity, but he was summarizing this same Fox News story that I've been oh, okay. describing just now, which, which has as its main source a federal investigator, that that's all we right. know, a federal investigator who has never come forward, who has never been cited in any other government report. Um, you know, the, the, the Trump people ran the government for four years. Presumably, if this person existed, yeah, he would have. it wouldn't have been that hard to find him because every incentive would have been there to find correct. him. So, well, Andy, uh, it's a remarkable book. I recommend folks go out and read it because it really is an insight not only into how politics can really affect a family, but how the, the the media machine in this country can turn very dark very quickly, try to turn somebody who is a, a decent, good person into a, a fodder for a conspiracy machine. Thank you so much for joining us today, Andy. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon, man. Best of luck on the book. Where can people find you on social media? At Andy Kroll. Very easy. There it is. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for having me. You know, the people topping the enemies list today on this last episode before the holiday are the strangest kind of mutants I can imagine in some way. You know, when I was growing up in the Republican Party as a young young Cold Warrior of the very last generation of young Cold Warriors, we had a pretty clear position on Russian authoritarianism. Now, we called it Soviet authoritarianism then. We called it the USSR and not, and not Russia or the Federation of Putin's kleptocracy. But the folks that yesterday on the right were bitching and moaning and complaining before uh, Vladimir Zelensky addressed Congress and met with President Biden represents something I just find so 
unbelievably dark and stupid and offensive because they're really not concerned that Vladimir Zelensky didn't wear a suit to the White House. They're not really, they don't really want to audit the amount of money that's being sent to Ukraine to fight off a Russian invasion. They want us to be on the other side. They want America to side with Russia. They want to be on Putin's side of this equation. So when you see Don Jr. calling Zelensky a welfare queen, uh, which first off, by the way, if you would like to peg your fucking irony meter to the wall, Don Jr. calling anybody a welfare queen after the crapulous grift operation that those people have used for years to avoid both tax liability and accountability, um, it, it's astounding. But these people that, uh, you know, the Tucker Carlson's of the world, they have this this increasingly pro-Putin bent. And it's very simple why. They look at authoritarianism as a good thing. They look at authoritarianism as a desirable thing. They look at authoritarianism as a model for this country. So if you're a Republican, and they were basically all Republicans who objected to Zelensky being here and who were objecting, looking at you, Rand Paul, um, to helping Ukraine defeat Putin's war crimes and defeat an illegal invasion and to break the back of an expansive authoritarian state led by Vladimir Putin, then if you had objections to that and they're legitimate, I can't imagine what they are. But with the objections I saw yesterday were owning the lib shitbird logic and, and frankly, all of you people who believe that Vladimir Putin is a better person to ally with as the United States, that he better represents American values, you're fucked. You're idiots. You're on the enemies list. Get your shit together. This has been the enemies list. And if you've been enraged or engaged or enlivened by this week's episode, let's do something about it. This podcast is part of Resolute Square a new front in the war to preserve democracy. We were looking for a place to fight back against the MAGA media, and this is it. In addition to this podcast and many others, each week, Resolute Square members will sit down with me and other founders for an intimate meeting of the minds, talking about what's really going on behind the curtain of American politics and analyzing the minds and the motivations of the people that are shaping this country's future, good and bad along with exclusive analysis and insight from our newsletters, which are anything but conventional wisdom. And yes, we'll also have merch to make the MAGA heads in your life furious. And more. Become a partner in this fight at ResoluteSquare.com enemies. And folks, if you could like, subscribe, and rate the podcast, I would be enormously grateful. And I cannot tell you how grateful and how heartfelt your support has been for this podcast and for these conversations. And we look forward to many, many more. Thanks again.